When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everybody. Welcome to More Than Amuse. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani. And welcome back. I'm excited. It's a new month, which means today we get to learn about a new artist. Yes. And this one is really good. But it was infuriating. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, how come? You know how sometimes we talk about like you learn something and then throughout the course of the podcast you find out that whatever you learned was completely false and then you just feel really upset. Yes. <laughs> that was this episode. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm very intrigued then. <laughs> I feel like my thoughts on this are a little scattered because there's a lot of emotion too with like some of the things I figured out. So hopefully I can rope it all together but did you ever learn about like the first films ever made in school I don't really remember I know my education was like a little weird because I went to an art based school in junior high and so they integrated art into everything and we had a whole class that talked about like history of music history of movies that's cool like that whole thing yeah it was really great it actually like helped a ton with just like general knowledge of how Mm -hmm. everything lines up I think it's essential for everyone. Like, I wish more schools would do that because I think it's so helpful, especially because we consume that all of the time. I was just going to say, like, I do feel like, yeah, almost like history of pop culture is becoming more relevant, just period, if you're going to exist in the world. Like, it's it's helpful for just media literacy. And I think media literacy, period, is just becoming more and more essential. So, yeah, that is cool that that class existed. Yeah, and I I wish it was a thing for everyone. Because also, Mm -hmm. like, I think a lot of the times on the internet, if you mention, like, oh, this, this, and then someone will be like, well, didn't you know that so-and-so did that first? And then you're like, no. Like, how was I supposed to know? I'm not a walking encyclopedia. (laughs) No, I did not know that. (laughs) So a lot of, like, our media literacy, we have to learn on our own, and Mm -hmm. that kind of sucks. But anyway, so I did have a class, and one of the first movies ever that they talk about is that, like, the movie of the the men flying to the moon and it has like a face and then the rocket like crashes into it it's like that iconic clip oh okay the man on the moon and then Mm -hmm. the rocket and then they bring back aliens or something and throw a party a trip to the moon la voyage dans la lune it's a 1902 french science fiction adventure film 1902 is actually earlier in history than i thought it would be so that's these are really old i think you can watch the whole thing on youtube it's only like 13 minutes long movies were short but they were there but that's largely considered one of the first films ever and it's a lie because it was actually a woman of course of course it was always (laughs) actually a woman (laughs) i feel like 
like we're gonna get to the end of our life and find out that Eve was actually created first. Like yes. this is like so <laughs> irritating because it continues to happen over and over and over again, and I just can't handle it. And then the other thing I thought of was there was this really incredible commercial going around for a while about the women's soccer league where this little girl was asking Alexa or like Google or something some virtual assistant who had scored the most goals in professional soccer history Mm -hmm. and it kept saying like oh what's his messy you know Uh like and then they would say like okay what woman in the national women's soccer league has scored the most goals and then it would say someone else and she had scored more and then it would be like wait then who actually has scored the most goals in soccer history and it would go back and say messy again and so it was talking about the fact that like that's a cool ad i've never seen that yeah it's really Mm -hmm. cool i oh it said cristiano ronaldo oh cool the most but he actually hasn't it's christine sinclair Uh ah yes so it's kind of one of those things where it's like media is biased And they've even noticed it with, like, AI that it's starting to show sexism. There's another commercial by an investing company, and they asked AI to, like, generate pictures of people who are good with money, who are investors, and all of them were men, and mostly white men. Mm -hmm. And so it's just saying that, like, nothing is able to fix itself until, like, we do. You know what I mean? Like, if we continue to tell these lies about, like, who actually has the most goals, who did things first, who's actually good at stuff. Like, that actually makes a difference. (laughs) It does. Like, our media is so biased to the point where, like, AI is learning our bias. And, Mm -hmm. like, And is now, like, participating and regurgitating that. So, like, it's sexist, and it shouldn't be because it's a freaking robot. Yeah. But it's because we're so sexist, and that's what it's learning from. Mm-hmm. So I just think like all of that was running through my mind because I was like, this is what the problem is. Like we continue doing this and then we miss out on people like Alice Guy Blanchet. Okay, so now we'll get into her. So Alice Ida Antoinette Guy Blanchet was a French pioneer filmmaker and was one of the first filmmakers to make a narrative fiction film. I would argue the first actually and the first woman ever to direct a film and from 1896 to 1906 she was the only female filmmaker in the world wow so a lot of times she's called the only female filmmaker in the world i've also seen like the greatest film director you've never heard of of course of course (laughs) so many other subtitles some fun things she directed a film in color. Wow. Yes, way before Wizard of Oz, way before it became many mainstream. Of the other ones about. Yes. Yeah. She had a film in color. She also had a film with sound, which is insane because back then and for a very long time there was only silent films. The way that they did it, in case I forgot to bring it up later, was they would have the actors lip sync to a previous recording of themselves and it would be like on a loop. So they were short, obviously like most of these movies are not the movie there's no three hour film going <laughs> yeah. on here. They're like five, if that minutes to about ten sometimes. But they set the precedence for what movies are now. Another thing that she did is she directed the first film with an all-black cast. Wow. If you Google who directed the first film with an all-black cast, it does not bring up her, but she did it. So 
And it's no worth noting that that film was not about racism. It was about a guy falling in love with a rich woman that he couldn't oh. have. So, love that. Interesting, yeah. Yes. She also had a full narratives, special effects, full-on casting with extras and everything before any of this was being done. Mm -hmm. And over the course of 26 years, she directed 1,000 films. Oh my gosh. Which is like... I think practically triple what Steven Spielberg has done in double the amount of time. Does that make sense? So yeah. Steven Spielberg has like a career of like 46 years or something. Mm-hmm. And she directed like way more films in a shorter amount of time. Obviously his films are longer. Bigger but budget, take longer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you know, whatever. I think that's it's, worth mentioning. Yeah, just yeah. worth noting that like the amount that she was able to do in the amount of time mm-hmm. that she had is insane. She also was the artistic director and co-founder of a film studio in New York called Solak Studios and became like the center of American filmmaking before Hollywood was established. And she's basically written out of history almost completely. Everyone we talk about, it's getting a little irritating. Like every woman innovator that we have discussed, (laughs) which are many because turns out women are actually the innovators in art. Seriously, it's getting to the point where I'm just like, well, all of history is a lie. Yeah. regardless of what anyone accomplishes, after we die, the men are just going to take us out. (laughs) Really optimistic way of viewing it. But also, you know what? That's how it feels. So I'm with you. I think I'm feeling really jaded and I apologize. That's okay. I know that this is like not everyone, but sometimes when you just read these stories over and over again, and then like all these stupid men complaining about the Barbie movie this week, and I'm just like, I can't handle this. You know what? That is so valid. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's just getting a little irritating, but (laughs) nevertheless, it's like, oh, you don't like how you were betrayed in media? Aw. Like, hmm, what an interesting problem that no one has probably ever had an issue with before. That's weird. I don't think, yeah, no one's ever felt this way. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, so Alice's father, Emil G., is an owner of a bookstore and publishing company in Santiago, Chile. And he marries Marie, I'm probably going to say it wrong, Clotet, a Franceline Aubert. And then they return to Santiago after getting married in Paris. And in early 1873, they lived in Santiago with the four siblings of Alice. And she was born in July of 1873. So her mother was pregnant with her when there was a devastating smallpox epidemic in Chile. And so they fled. Smallpox was really bad. It killed a lot of people. And they couldn't just tell them to stay home like we did with COVID. They fled back to Paris. And that's where Alice was born. She was raised a little bit French. In her autobiography, she actually said that it was her mother's attempt to make sure her fifth child should be truly French, which is funny. Her father had to return to Chile soon after her birth, and her mother followed a few months later, entrusting Alice to her grandmother in Switzerland. And then at age three or four, her mother returned and took Alice back to South America. Sounds like a very transient and interesting childhood. I can't imagine like your parents leaving shortly after you were born and then coming back when you're like four virtually a stranger. To take True. You to a different country, yeah, a very wow. different country, especially like going from Switzerland to South America, like that's mm-hmm. a culture shock, and vice versa. You know, like it just crazy. At the age of six, she was taken 
back to France by her father to attend the Faithful Companions of Jesus school. And then her and her sister Louise were moved to a convent in Fernie a few years later and then brought back to Paris. It was pretty common at the time, I think, in really religious families to like send your daughters off to a convent for school. I'm pretty sure the nuns ran a lot of the girls early education for a really long time and i'm sure it was probably just one of the only ways to ensure that they were educated it's like send them to a convent they'll at least learn to like read and write yeah (laughs) her father died in january of 1891 of unknown causes Hmm. and shortly after her mother got a job with mutilite materna i don't know exactly what that is but she was unable to keep that job and so alice trained as a typist and stenographer which is a really new field at the time to support herself and her mother and then landed her first typing job at a varnish factory and then in 1894 she began working at the basically like a photography studio owned by Felix Max Richard. Anyway, so it was a camera manufacturing and photography supply company. So that's basically all we know about her early childhood. Not a ton, just a lot of traveling back and forth between France and South America. Parents that were like kind of there, kind of not. Like, Uh I don't know. And four other siblings that aren't really mentioned a lot. Just kind of one of those things where you wish that People there paid more. more attention. But we know a lot about her professional life. So, like I said, she was hired to work as a typist or secretary for the camera manufacturing and photography supply company. It was owned by Felix Max Richard at the time. But then, only a year later, due to a court decision, don't know what happened there, but <laughs> they ended up having the company change hands and he sold it to four men Gustave Eiffel. Joseph Vela, Alfred Besnier, and Leon Gamont. So they named the company after Gamont because Eiffel was the subject of a national scandal regarding the Panama Canal. I'm guessing there's a lot of tea going on here if you want to I know, I was like, this, this feels company. like a lot of gossip, but okay. <laughs> and then this studio, Gamont, became a major force in the motion picture industry in France. So Alice was working there and then continued to be working there for more than 25 years. Oh, wow. And it involved her directing, producing, writing, and overseeing more than 700 films. Worth noting, Gamont published their history like a couple of years ago. No mention of Alice Guy. Gross. Yep, left her out. I think they ended up adding her back in after some uproar, which is nice from some people who knew of her. Because she literally was there from the very beginning. Like, before it was even called Gamont, she was a part of the company. And so just irritating that they, like, completely left her out. Especially when it's like now she is one of the very first filmmakers and that it was like, yes. well, we don't need to mention that she was here when it's like, why wouldn't you want to mention that one of the I very know. first filmmakers was, like, a part of this? And, like, 700 films over a career of 25 years and that was like all mostly at their studio it's like why wouldn't me? you do that yeah <laughs> yeah so irritating she literally like rose through the ranks of the company because like i said she started as a secretary but then she became so familiar with all of the different clients marketing strategies 
the stock that they had of cameras. She got to meet with a lot of like pioneering film engineers. She was able to attend a surprise Lumiere event on March 22nd, 1895. And it was the first demonstration of film projection. It was like this obstacle everyone was trying to solve. And so they screened one of their early films, Workers Leaving the Lumiere Factory, which was basically just a scene of workmen leaving the plant in Lyon. And bored with the idea of capturing film only being used for a scientific or promotional purpose of selling cameras in the form of demonstration films, she wanted to incorporate fictional storytelling elements. And so cool. she asked Gamont for permission to make her own film, and he granted it. Guys, cinematography would not exist the way that it does today without this woman. Can you imagine if someone was like, oh, we're only going to use film for demonstration, promotional, or scientific purposes, and no one ever went maybe we should tell a story. Yeah. And here's the thing, like, I have full faith that eventually someone probably would have said it, but, like, she did it first. And that was something that had to be invented and had to be done first. And she was the one who did it. And that's significant. Yes. And we don't know how long it would have taken. Like, true. it seems stupid to be like, oh, like, duh, someone would have thought of that. But, but but no, it is like one of those things that it seems so obvious now that you forget that it had to be invented, but like it did. Yeah. Someone had to do that first. Someone had to. And luckily mm-hmm. she was like, this is boring. Yeah. Let's do something better. Okay. So there's actually, I saw like a very short clip of her very first film. Cool. It's also considered the first narrative film ever because it was the first first one it was in 1896 and it's in french but it's called the fairy of the cabbages it's a silent film it is basically this like lady that kind of looks like a fairy but like not how we imagine them now just like in a Mm -hmm. pretty dress and she's standing in a garden surrounded by all these cabbages and then she picks up babies out of the cabbages and lays them down on the ground like she's harvesting vegetables. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Which is funny. (laughs) There seems to be like multiple different versions of this film too. There was like a debut film, but then there was like one two years later that they found in film archives that was slightly different. But then there was like another one that they believe, but like a lot of it's lost. I was actually watching like a short five minute video by like this film bro on YouTube youtube but like a good one because (laughs) he brought up how great she was it's gamma ray on youtube but he talked about the fact that like if you know anyone which i don't who has like films in their attic or Mm -hmm. like if you work at an archive library or something to like look through your records because there's probably copies of these like early films by her hidden somewhere that like are arguably like lost interesting yes i thought that was interesting and that's probably so true for so many things that like you know we talked about the abandoned house that they found a symphony in what was the name of oh florence price Florence Price, yes. So it's just kind of one of those situations, you know, where like we don't know where stuff is, but like it doesn't mean that it's been destroyed. It could still be there. So I thought that was really cool. And they found versions of it, but like there's parts of it that are still missing. But a newspaper actually described the film as chaste fiction of children born under the cabbages as a wonderfully framed chromo landscape. And then just a few years later, Alice Guy reported in 1912, every moving picture house in the country was turning out stories instead of spectacles and plots instead of parents. 
everyone jumped on board with the narrative storytelling for film after this, which, thank heavens. <laughs> so, from 1896 to 1906, Alice Guy was Gaumont's head of production and is generally considered the first filmmaker to systematically develop narrative filmmaking. She also was the only female director in the entire world from 1896 to 1906. Obviously, that's because of sexism. But worth noting, once again, this is an early field Mm -hmm. with not a lot of structure. And so women were able to sneak their way in, which happens time and time again until it gets more established. And all of a sudden, they don't care about the history of the industry and we get kicked out again. But we find it over and over again in all these women we've covered that (laughs) women are the ones who laid the groundwork for any new medium. Seriously, I'm like every mystery of the world. I'm just be like, it was a woman at this point. Pyramids, probably a woman. Probably women. (laughs) It wasn't aliens, guys. It was just women. women. Yeah. (laughs) Arguably just as mysterious to men (laughs) as aliens. So true. So her main contemporaries would be the Lumieres and Malays. Malays is the one who did the trip to the moon French film. Oh, cool. And then she also explored a lot of, like, dance and travel films, often combining the two, like the film Le Bolero, which was performed by Miss Saharit, who's a dancer, and Tango. And then a lot of her films were really popular in musical attractions, such as the Serpentine Dance films. Mm. Does that sound familiar? It does. Yes. Louis Fuller? Yes. It was Louis Fuller. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And then we did one this year, too, that um, was like Louis Fuller. It was, hold on. It's Louis Fuller and Isadora Duncan. Those are the yes. two dancers, the mothers of go. modern dance. Yeah, and looking at her films, it's very, very like the films that Alice Guy was doing. So I don't know if she filmed exactly the ones that Louis Fuller was in, but I mean, they were in Paris it said she was doing serpentine dance films yeah. same time period and i just trust that all those artists they probably all knew each other yes. they probably were connected yeah especially because her films were like in musical attractions and like yeah you know i'm guessing that it was probably her so i love that that like connects you know mm-hmm. like here she is filming louis fuller um, who was the again innovator of modern dance who did things in new ways before anyone else did so yes love, that. love it in 1906 she made a film called the life of christ which was a really big budget production it actually had 300 extras wow that is a yeah, lot <laughs> very big like probably one of the first large-scale film productions ever she used the illustrated james Tissot New Testament as reference material for the film, which featured 25 episodes and was her largest production at Gaumont to date. In addition to this, she was one of the pioneers in the use of audio recordings in conjunction with images on screen, which I kind of explained they like synchronize the film to a pre-recorded lip syncing of Mm -hmm. the actor. It worked, I think, for the most part with singing really well. That makes sense. Because they could sing, and then it's easier to match up lip syncing of singing than talking. Because yeah. there's less nuances in how your mouth moves. <laughs> and they were obviously really short. Like, I think most of them looped. So it was like a minute or two of, like, music, and it would loop with them singing. 
I don't think cameras could record sound at this time, which I think is why a lot of the films they were had silent. to do it this. Way. So that was the only way they could do it. She also was, of course, one of the first to employ special effects, including using double exposure, masking techniques, and running a film backward. Cool. So rewind is thanks to her. (laughs) Yep. And then she also, I think I mentioned a little earlier, she did some films in color. The way that they had to do that was coloring on the frames after, I think, because once again, they couldn't capture. But it's worth noting that Louis Fuller's 1905 silent short film was also in color, but only her dress. And so I think it's that same technique. Oh, yeah. They just like drew it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. So during her tenure at Gamont, she hired and trained Louis Fuller and Etienne Arnold as writers and directors and hired the set designer Henry Manessier and our director Ben Carr. So very, very fundamental to the beginning of this studio really stupid that they wrote her out of their history you know i was gonna say like the more you're telling me about this it's like oh like that was truly horrible that she was not included yeah like it wasn't like they casually forgot to miss the secretary oops mistake like she was crucial to the building up of this company's success yes one thousand percent like literally narrative storytelling special effects color Mm -hmm. sound double exposure and masking techniques like there's so much that is just like yeah idiotic yes (laughs) like oh man okay so in 1907 she married herbert blanche who was appointed the production manager for gamont's operations in the united states of course Hmm. everyone was trying to get up there so after working with her husband for Gamont in the United States, they struck out on their own only three years later and partnered with George A. Maggie in the formation of the Solax Company, which was the largest pre-Hollywood studio in America. Let me wow. say it again. The <laughs> largest pre-Hollywood studio in America. Yes. <laughs> That's a really big deal. <laughs> so they start this new film studio in Flushing, New York. And her husband served as production manager and cinematographer, and she worked as the artistic director, directing many of the releases. Mm. And within two years, they had become so successful that they invested more than $100,000 into new and technologically advanced production facilities in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Wow. Um, $100,000 in 1910. That's a very important distinction yes i think it's three million dollars yeah that sounds right i would that seems over three million dollars that's a lot of money many early film studios were actually based in fort lee at the beginning of the 20th century i don't know why that seems like a really random place to me yeah but that's where they put them this also made her of course the first woman to own her own studio and studio plant cool and her directing style was also unique because She really focused on acting that was natural. She had like a large sign in her studio that read, Be Natural. I think Mm. it was even the subtitle of the company for a while, Solac Studios. This is way before method acting, anything like that. Like 
acting in movies was so new that I mean obviously there was acting in plays and acting has been around forever but like but they're so different like even now Mm -hmm. they talk about having Broadway stars come on and do movies and they don't know how to act towards a camera because it's so different like so different instead of everything being big and grand so it can be seen clear from the back of the audience it has to be like these small tiny nuances it so her being able to tell people like be natural is helping them realize like how you need to act in front of a camera in order for a camera to grab it. Yeah. So very, very fundamental to the beginning of film. In 1913, she directed The Thief, which was the first script sold by future Wonder Woman creator William Moulton Marston. Cool. Mm-hmm. A few years later, her and her husband would actually divorce and Hollywood was becoming a thing. With the rise of cost-effective climate in Hollywood. It is cost-effective in Hollywood to film. That's why everyone's there because the weather is good year-round. So, which is almost funny that there. that's that's why. I know, me. right? Like, oh, I guess it really does just come back to practicality a lot of the time. <laughs> yep, like Hollywood exists because California had a good climate and, and the land was really cheap because everyone was out east yeah (laughs) makes sense (laughs) yeah but this divorce is kind of one of the another reason why she was taken out of a lot of things because Mm. their film partnership ended with her marriage ending and then that led to some problems being able to continue on in the film industry of course Like, I'm like, I'm getting very jaded. This is supposed to be motivational, you guys. <laughs> but it's just like, this is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I get more and more upset every time because I just feel like our entire history is a lie. Frustrating. Anyway, I love this quote by her. It said, there is nothing connected with the staging of a motion picture that a woman cannot do as easily as a man. There is no reason she cannot master every technicality of the art In the arts of acting, painting, music, and literature, women have long held their place among the most successful workers. And when Mm. it's considered how vitally these arts enter into the production of motion pictures, one wonders why the names of scores of women are not found among the most successful creators of photodrama offerings. You know, it's like when you word it that way, it just like seems so obvious, you know? Right. But it it is sad that maybe it's not obvious because it had to be something that even had to be said in the first place, which is sad. Yes. And I think the thing that like got to me the most was like, there's nothing connected to the staging of motion picture that a woman cannot do as easily as a man. And then it's Mm -hmm. like, well, duh, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. I guess you could argue scientifically with testosterone that men are stronger sometimes not in every case (laughs) physically stronger Mm -hmm. and so you could say like okay women can't power lift (laughs) yeah they're like okay fine like if you wanted to do that you could holding a camera painting a picture what about that like what makes a man genetically superior in those areas than a woman nothing Mm -hmm. like there's no reason why that should even be a question (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it's just strange we both have brains that's all it takes for that activity (laughs) just like basic creativity you know (laughs) in the late 1940s she actually wrote an autobiography and it was published in france and then in translated to english a decade later with the help of her daughter simone Hmm. her daughter-in-law Roberta, and the film writer Anthony Slide. 
I don't think it's in print anymore. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Unfortunately, when we cover these people that are really old, like at this point, their autobiographies have gone out of print. It was there, though. She wrote it. Her daughter actually did a ton of work in helping bring her back into the attention of the world. I love Um, that. Yeah, her daughter, like, really, really championed her. And it sounds like her daughter-in-law as well, which is amazing. And a lot of the times it does come down to family members. And other women family members a lot of the time, too. I know. Worth noting that it was not her daughter and her son. It was Mm -hmm. her daughter and her daughter-in-law. Which, like, I don't know the story (laughs) behind her son. Who knows? But it just seems that the other women work to champion forgotten women most of the time. And then also, like, Alice Guy herself was tremendously concerned with her unexplained absence from historical record of the film industry. Which, true, that would be frustrating. Mm -hmm. She constantly communicated with colleagues and film historians, correcting previously made and supposedly factual statements about her life. She crafted lengthy lists of her films as she remembered them, which, I mean, that would be hard because, once again, she did a thousand in 20 years. I've never created a thousand anything in that Uh -uh. short. Like, that's what, like, in my life, I've done probably a couple hundred songs, and even then, I'm like, I don't remember every song I've written. There's no way. Exactly. Like, I went to a Kelsey Ballerini concert, and someone asked for a song, and she couldn't remember the words. Yeah. And someone was like, wow, I, you know, how would that even happen? It's like, do you know any songs she's probably written? Like, you get to a certain point where you don't remember all of it. Like, that would be yeah weird but so she's like sitting there writing lists of all of her films hoping to like get creative ownership and legitimate credit for them Mm -hmm. so there's probably a ton of films out there by her that she doesn't even have credit for which makes me like more inclined to believe that the louis filler film films were done by her because I don't think there's a director listed. She actually was the subject of a National Film Board of Canada documentary, The Lost Garden, The Life and Cinema of Alice Guy O'Shea, which won an award for Best Documentary. That's cool. And then in 2002, there was another one, Alice Guy Blanchet, Lost Visionary of the Cinema. I'm just so tired of being the lost heroes, you know? right. I know, it almost gets irritating when it's like, the greatest film director you've never heard of. and it's The like, lost genius. Like, why is she lost in the first place? Especially when yes. she herself was fighting so hard. Like, this isn't the story of a passive woman who was not fighting for her right to be taken seriously. Like, no. she knew she was the innovator. She knew she was behind this and had to watch and listen as people were writing her out. Exactly. So it's just stupid it's stupid (laughs) that is the truth it's just stupid it's complete idiocy that wrote her out of history and Mm -hmm. frustrating so yeah her career from like 1896 to 1920 she directed over a thousand films about 150 of them survive and 22 of them were feature-length films Wow. That's... That's a lot. Insane. She was one of the only and early women, along with Louis Weber, to manage and own her own studio. Obviously, very few of her films survive. In 2018, Kino Lorber released a six-disc box called Pioneer's First Woman Filmmakers in collaboration with the Library of Congress. And the first disc of the set is devoted to films of Alice Guy. So there are some that have been 
yeah. there. Another documentary, Be Natural, The Untold Story of Alice Guy Blanchet, directed by Pamela Green and narrated by Jodie Foster, opened at the Kames Film Festival in 2018. So there's been quite a few documentaries. That's cool. Because of that specific one in 2018, they actually were able to restore and preserve a lot of her films. And there was a pillar in her name that was featured at the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. So, like, some recognition. What I find hilarious, in September of 2019, she was included in the New York Times series Overlooked No More, mm-hmm. which is a claim that I don't think you can make. <laughs> <laughs> that is an optimistic way of wording it, I dare say. And apparently, reported by Deadline in 2021, Pamela B. Green is developing a feature biopic about Alice Guy Blanchet. Oh, that's cool. That could be cool. However, we have reported on like a million biopics that are in development and, you know, it takes a lot. So, who knows? Something worth noting, Guy Blanchet was an early influence on Alfred Hitchcock. Ooh. And Sergei Einstein. Sergei? Yeah, Sergei Einstein. Hitchcock remarked, I'd be over the moon with the Frenchman George Millet. I was thrilled by the movies of D.W. Griffin and the early French director Alice Guy. Wow. And Hitchcock is someone that is not an unsung hero. No. The fact that I don't even have to say his first name. Yeah. (laughs) That's a very good indicator that you have made your mark on history. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's the best indicator that you can use. If yeah. I can say someone's last name, DiCaprio, and you know who I'm talking about, they've made their mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In his memoirs, Eisenstein. Oh, yeah, sorry. It was Sergei Eisenstein. He's another filmmaker. He described an unnamed film he had seen as a child that continued to be very important to him. The film was identified as Alice Guy Blanchet's The Consequences of Feminism, 1906. Wow. During the making of the documentary Be Natural, The Untold Story of Alice Guy Blanchet. Interesting. Um, Yes. So that's another thing. She was heavily involved in women's suffrage, fighting for racial equality, obviously with like directing the first all black cast film. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Like a lot of her films were able to touch on that regardless of the fact that they were still so early personal life okay so this is just short little things i probably should have roped it in earlier but that's okay so when she got married she had to resign from her position working with gamont i don't know if that was like a rule back then or something or if yeah part of me's like but why <laughs> yeah, i don't, I don't know. get it so then her and her husband were sent to cleveland to facilitate and then of course separated from the company to start their own studio. Okay. She gave birth to her daughter, Simone, in September of 1908. And then they created Solax, making mm-hmm. her the first woman to own her own studio. And then in 1912, when she was pregnant with her second child, that's when they built the studio in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and continued to complete one to three films a week, setting unrealistic expectations for <laughs> women everywhere. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's awesome. We can forgive her for that. Yeah. So cool. On June 27th of 1912, her son was born. And then shortly after taking the position of feature production and executive direction, her husband started a film company called Blanchet Features, Inc. They maintained a personal and business partnership for the next few years, working on many projects. But then in 1918, with the development of Hollywood, he left his wife and children to pursue 
his career. So it sounds like he just kind of ran away from the family for, you know, the glitz and glam of Hollywood. Another just side note where it's like women have to pay the price for like men's transgressions and where she's willing to be the correct one and not abandon her family. And yet now she's having to suffer the consequences and also is the lesser known, maybe not lesser known out of the two, but you know, didn't get her chance to work towards her Hollywood dreams that, you know, I don't know. No, it's frustrating. In October of 1918, she actually almost died from the Spanish flu pandemic Oh, too many pandemics, guys. Yeah. <laughs> in history, in recent history. <laughs> Period. <laughs> yeah. This was while she was filming her final film, Tarnished Reputations. She recovered and then following her illness, joined her husband for a short while in Hollywood, but they lived separately. She did work as his directing assistant on two of his films starring Ala Nazimova. And then she directed her last film in 1919. And then in 1921, she was forced to auction her film studio and other possessions in bankruptcy. And they were officially divorced a year later. And she returned to France in 1922. But by Hmm. then, the climate of filmmaking had changed a lot. And they didn't welcome her back in. So she never made another film. Ah, yeah. She never remarried and in 1964 returned to the United States to live in Wayne, New Jersey with her oldest child, her daughter Simone. Mm-hmm. And on the 24th of March 1968, at age 94, hope I live that long. That's insane. Alice Guy Blanchet died in a nursing home in New Jersey and was buried at Mary Rest Cemetery. Wow. Yes. So right before her death, due to a lot of efforts by her daughter, she was actually awarded the Legion of Honor, which is the highest non-military award France offers. Oh, cool. And then a few... Oh, yeah, like around the same time, she was also honored by a cinematic company, a French cinema ceremony cool. that went unnoticed by the press. Didn't oh, well. get reported. There's been some, like, accolades and tributes. I talked about some of the documentaries that have been about her. Mm. There was, like, a musical about the invention of cinema produced by Laura Comstock called The Bag Punching Dog. And she was the – Alice Guy was the lead character of the musical. Mm -hmm. I mentioned a lot of that. There was a commission that raised funds to replace her grave marker in New Jersey that included the Solax logo and noting her role as a cinema pioneer. There's been some preservation of her films later on as they find records of them. They're able to, like, bring them in, fix them up. Yeah. After her death, she was awarded the Special Directorial Award for Lifetime Achievement. Worth noting that the Fort Lee Film Commission actually had to lobby the Directors Guild of America to accept her as a member. Ew. Yeah, and then she was awarded, and then she also was inducted into the New Jersey Hall of Fame. I love it when hometowns fight for the people that came from them. Or, like, she wasn't even born in New Jersey, but, like, she died there and, like, had her studio there, and Mm -hmm. they... They recognize her in a lot of ways, which is nice. There was a film journalist, Veronica Labrie, who founded the Alice Guy Prize, who grants yearly awards to women filmmakers of the year, which is great. I love that that's in her name. 
Mm-hmm. And there is so much more. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I could go on forever. There's like little things here and there. Like Yale University has a state-of-the-art screening room named Alice Cinema after Alice Key. Like there's tiny little nods everywhere. everywhere. But she's but like... It- not in public common consciousness. <laughs> yes. Like when people talk about the greatest film directors of all time, like her name doesn't come up. They're not mentioning who was actually the very first, which was her. Yes. And like in order to find her, this is what always irritates me. I always have to add female or woman to everything in order oh, to find these yeah. people. So I'm like, who were the first film directors? And it brings up a list of men. And then if you type in who were the first female film directors, directors. you get then... a whole new actual list of people. <laughs> yeah. And it's just frustrating. It goes back to like that media bias that we talked about at the time where it's like, mm-hmm. it just never seems to be completely solved. Yeah. It's just there. <laughs> yeah. The video I mentioned on YouTube by that one guy he actually brought up a quote from tina fey who obviously is a woman film director yeah and she talked about the fact that like when you have diverse voices creating art when the panel of judges is there if they aren't also diverse Mm. they don't get it and so a lot of the times Uh. they'll write things off and i thought about that a lot the like If you make a film about, you know, an experience of a woman in America, and then the review board is a bunch of men who have never thought about that. They're not going to get it. They won't get it. So then they don't give awards and accolades to these films. And I think it continues to happen. Like, everyone's basically already called that Barbie will probably get, like, little to no recognition at the Oscars. Regardless of the fact that, in my full opinion... (laughs) like and this is my opinion but based on like reviews i've seen and everything else i think it's arguably a better film than oppenheimer is yeah i feel like other people would make that claim too no i I, that's what i was gonna say i feel like that is actually so like topically just relevant right now where it's like yeah if like so many people it's like, well, I didn't get it. It's like, cool, well, that movie wasn't for you then. Yeah. And if you didn't get Barbie, that's fine. But, like, what Barbie was about was, like, how women feel. Like, <laughs> and it's just funny, like, seeing all that criticism is of just, like, step outside yourself and realize that maybe the art isn't made for you for yeah. what, a second, you know? And that's okay because yes. there's millions of years of art that's made for you. yeah so it's just kind of I thought that was a really important point and realizing mm-hmm. that until you know like boards of critics are more diverse the like ratings and reviews and awards and accolades for all of these films can't follow suit because they won't understand and it's the same for like racists you know yeah mm-hmm. like repercussions for any like everything. minority like, yeah like mm-hmm. you make a movie about the black experience in america and if it's a board of white people they aren't gonna get it like they won't yeah. understand or it's kind of like i 
saw a TikTok about this, truthfully, like in response to kind of like talking about a lot of criticism where they brought up the movie Hidden Figures, where it's like a lot of the times movies like that, they have to create some white sympathetic character who like did do the right thing so it can appeal to white audiences Mm -hmm. so that they can like see themselves in the movie and say like, oh my gosh, well, that would have been me. I would have been that person. When in reality, like that character that they created, that character didn't actually even exist. And so it kind of rewrites history in the way that it's like well that's awesome that like you think that would have been you in that situation but unfortunately that person isn't real and so and and in in those type of movies like that happens a lot because yeah you know that's who is gonna go see the movies (laughs) yeah so it's not just like an alice gee problem it's obviously a historical issue but yeah so that's her like i amazing yeah, I really hope that more continues to come out. I hope we get a biopic. I hope it does well. But at least, like, all of you now know that when someone's like, oh, who, who was some the of first the first directors? Let me tell you, you who it was. Alice Guy. And they say, what was the first film with an all-black cast? And say it was directed by Alice Guy. Which Same is with cool. one of the first films with special effects, fully picture films so much you guys like basically who was the main innovator here behind film her literally the first person who went maybe we should tell a story which is i would dare say the most (laughs) critical part to the entire creating of the film industry i agree amazing and it always bothers me like even the wikipedia thinks is one of the first first filmmakers to make a narrative fiction film Mm -mm. the first yeah (laughs) so yeah but that's her amazing well thank you for teaching me about her and now i know now i know that because of a woman we watch movies now the way that we do today i will yes. trust that the chain reaction happened just because of her and i yeah. i fully believe that so also, amazing fun little added note her daughter would go on to be a film actress so i just oh, love cool. mm-hmm. it all trickles down Definitely. And I know we've been talking a lot about film this summer. It is the summer of movies. What can we say? (laughs) I have (laughs) never in my life been so aware of like just movies period than this summer. (laughs) I don't think I've ever paid that much attention. Uh -uh. Like box office numbers, budgets, nothing. I've never cared. No, I was actually thinking about that. I was like scrolling TikTok this afternoon and I was realizing that most of my for you page right now is just like people analyzing movies and talking about movies and not even just barbie and oppenheimer just now it's just movies period yes that's the topic of conversation so Mm -hmm. i feel like this is a very valid additional note to that yeah and we'll be talking about it again next week yeah i'm like (laughs) and spoiler it will come back next week but you know it if it's relevant i'm i want to talk about it yeah and like it's worth noting you guys are listening to our barbie episodes a lot it's what you know it's what everyone's it's what everyone wants to talk about and so we're gonna we'll join in on the conversation too yes but then i promise we have fun stuff planned for the rest of the year true you know that'll all tie it together again so definitely yeah but that is alice key blanche thanks for being here leave a rating and review and follow us on instagram which is more than amuse.podcast and check out all of our content and that's all see you next time step into the world of power loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.